You're listening to Calvary La Habra's podcast. For more information, visit us at calvarylh.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for walking us into the room. Wow, that was great. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We so enjoy and are so honored and so humbled to worship you. We're so blessed that you are the God that can be known and loved, the God that loves, the God that fills us with yourself, with your spirit, with peace, a peace that passes understanding. Thank you, Lord, for being personal and intimate. Thank you for receiving our worship and for, you know, just inhabiting the praises of your people. Thank you for hearing our hearts right now as we unite in prayer and we talk to you. And I'm sure many different requests have just been aimed your way. Everyone dear to you. Everyone just so, you're just so ready to hear your kids. The cry of our heart. The praise of our heart. And Lord, even as we um, are in this very interesting season with a, uh, a pandemic upon us, And all the effects of that and all the different views about that, we are so grateful that we can be united in you, who you are. None of this has caught you by surprise. You are in control. Lord, as we cry out even for those we know that are sick to heal, we know you can. Pray for mercy, for healing. Lord, for Kevin again, as he's just having a hard time, Kevin Coben, just continue to heal him and We know many have loved ones that are in the hospital right now. Many have passed away. We pray for comfort. We pray for peace. We pray for wisdom, Lord, as we personally and with our marriages and our families, we navigate through this ever-changing world that is gripped by fear and uncertainty. We pray for our church and the the various churches in our community and, and even abroad, that you would grant wisdom and direction. Oh, how we need you. Specifically, Holy Spirit be our teacher this morning. As we open up again the book of Acts, we pray our hearts would be open to receive from you. For those that have not given their life to you here or Those online, we pray that they would not move one more hour away from your love, your grace, your mercy, the salvation that you offer them. May they move towards you, Jesus, and encounter you in a life-changing way this morning, we pray. And for all of us that are saved, we we just thank you. We love you. We give you this time. We pray this in your name. Amen and amen. Well, why don't you turn around, say hello to some people next to you, then find a seat here at your home, out in the tent, wherever you might be. How's y'all doing, by the way? Got a little glitch here, but we're fixing it. All right. Let's turn our Bibles over to Acts. We're going to be in chapter 1 and uh, verse 8. It is so awesome to be here. It it just is. It is. I, I was just standing in the back. My grandson's here, and... I was looking at him, and Serge brought him here early just to kind of, he's got to get used to the place. I'm like, yeah, start him here at 6, get him around here. And, 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 and you know, he, he's still kind of getting used to me and all that. I'm a little over the top. And, and, and 
man, I was greeted with this huge smile outside by this little guy, and I was like, man, it's just good to be here. And with that little guy to see his grandpa walking on this property, and, and to see so many of you that I know have uh, worked through a lot, uh, maybe fear, and maybe, uh, maybe you've worked through COVID <laughs> to be here, and, and I like to say God's worked COVID through us, and um, he has just been so faithful with this church through this whole season, and I just am excited that um, we're here another day, we're open, and and uh, we're just excited to see what he has for us um, in this season. So, in our last study, we, we talked a whole lot about, as we see the book of Acts, talk a whole lot about the Holy Spirit. Um, we went through many passages in the scripture and noted, of course, that the Holy Spirit is God himself, third person of the Godhead. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is the God that we worship. That is a God that we know. He is a person, the Holy Spirit, in whom we can enjoy a personal relationship with. He is not, as we talked about, some impersonal force or power or essence within the universe. He's a person that we can speak to. He's a person that speaks. He speaks to us. He is a person that as we looked at his office and his role, what does he do? Jesus said in John 14, I will not leave you guys as orphans, um, but I'm going to send my spirit, and he will be with you and in you. And this morning we'll talk about the third role of coming upon us. But we noted that just going through the scripture and looking at his role, what is his designed role? When Jesus left him here on earth and said, I'm leaving. I'm going to be leaving, but my spirit will be here. What's his role? We talked about just that he would be with us. How is he with us? He's with us now, but he's also with us, has been with us pre-conversion. The word in the, the Greek is the word para, P-A-R-A. And it, it means just like if I came and I was with you and I, I was talking to you and the primary role of his being with everybody on this planet is to convict them initially, to help them understand they are a sinner in need of salvation. Jesus would say about the Holy Spirit, we'll refer to this many times, that he is here to testify of me. His primary function with you is to get you and me focused on Jesus. And if you're not saved, you're here in the tent, in, inside this, this room around the property or online, and you're, you're not saved, Jesus left his spirit on this earth for that primary purpose, that the spirit, who is God, would point you to the second person of the Godhead so that you could give your life to him and begin that, be forgiven and begin that relationship with Christ. He left him here to be with us. And as such, we, we realize that he's, he's got this, this unique role of convicting us. Once he is in us, the Greek en means to indwell. Jesus said he will be with you. John 14, then he will be in you. To indwell you, that speaks of his role at conversion. He actually comes in us. He's in us now. And once he is in us, now these other roles and functions, he now begins to play out in our life. He now can guide us. He now, he now can, can teach us. He now can pray for us, encourage us, comfort us, strengthen us, gift us, direct us, empower us. The Holy Spirit is a person a person we noted that possesses an intellect. He has intelligence. He has a will. He has emotion. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. Well, you see the Holy Spirit hovering over the face of the waters in that creation setting in Genesis chapter 1. And that moves us when we see that. We're like, oh, the Holy Spirit is there. We know that Jesus and Colossians 1 is the creator of all, but the Holy Spirit was there. The Father was there. We, we, we see the Holy Spirit 
the same Holy Spirit that hovered over the waters when, when Jesus would begin his ministry, the Holy Spirit would lead him into the wilderness. That same Holy Spirit that hovered over the waters led Jesus into the wilderness is the same Holy Spirit in Romans chapter 8, verse 11 that Paul says, raised Jesus from the dead. We see the Holy Spirit directing the early church. Acts 13, 2 again, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate unto me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work which I have for them to do. And then we see the direction of that. As we saw last week, Jesus telling us there, He would be the Holy Spirit with us and will be in us. Talking to believers... Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 3.16, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the, that the Spirit of God dwells in you? The same Spirit that hovered over the waters at creation. And there's many different times he's mentioned in the Old Testament and and his being in individuals, such as a David and the prophets. And then we, we move forward and we begin to see his role in Christ himself. As much as he was, he was there hovering over the waters, as much as the Holy Spirit was there raising Jesus from the dead, that Holy Spirit dwells in you to guide you, to teach you. To direct you, to encourage you, to strengthen you. He's the parakletos there. The, the one that comes alongside to comfort you. How much comfort do we need right now? How much guidance do we, we need right now? The Holy Spirit is still coming into hearts. I was, I was sitting here, we were, we were singing that song and then me just had that I've never really thought about. Just what would I say? What would I do? What, walk into the room. And I was just thinking how many people right now in their heart like took, took a little bit further step towards Jesus when they just began to think through that. And what if you're a non-believer here? You're just like, ah, someone invited me to church, you know? And I'm like, well, I'm going to think about Jesus. Or in your home, you're thinking about Jesus. As a non-believer, there's this, this role of the Holy Spirit that he so wants to bring you into personal, intimate relationship with Jesus. If I could just take a moment and kind of set there and, and really set that in place. I think it's important for the non-believer to know that, for us as believers to be reminded of that, what, what the Holy Spirit has done, and then the unique role that he wants to play in our life as we share the gospel with others. James 1.19, to those who would be open, open their hearts to who Jesus is. It says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. In Ephesians 1.13, it says, in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, in whom also having Believed. Paul would talk to the church in Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 2.13. He says, for this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you receive the word of God, this is, this is important. We open up our hearts to Jesus, who he is, what the word of God has to say about him. It says, when, when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as it were just word from men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. You know, just as a baby has two parents that are, that are used to bring them into the, wor the world, you know, physically, father and a mother, so... We have the Word of God and the Spirit of God that God uses to bring us into His family, to bring us 
into sp spiritual regeneration. The word, Peter would say again in 1 Peter 1.23, you know, that we need to be born again not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible by the word of God which lives and abides forever. And then we have the role of the Spirit. John 3, 5-7, Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And Jesus talking to that religious leader, Nicodemus, goes, don't be all marveling that you've got to be born again. You'll never enter into the kingdom of heaven unless you believe my word and what it says and you allow the Spirit to do His part. Just like it took your parents to bring you into the world physically, it takes my word and my Spirit to bring you into my family spiritually. The Spirit takes the Word and generates new life within the heart of the sinner who believes in Jesus. He takes the Word, the Spirit does, and convicts them of sin. At the same time, He's revealing the Savior. Spiritual conception is an act of God's Spirit using, again, the Word of God. So the Holy Spirit is with us. And he so desires to be in us through conversion. But Jesus says here, there's, there, there's just something more. He will also come upon us as we pick up in verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Jesus had already referred to this role of the Holy Spirit in verse 5. We, we hit that uh, in our introduction. But there he was talking to the disciples. You remember again, he is yet to, he's just about to ascend to heaven. And so we're on, we're on day 40-ish. <laughs> Let's say day 40. So 40 days prior, that would take us back, if we were just following our calendar today, that would take us back to about Thanksgiving. So 40 days prior, Jesus raised from the dead. And from Thanksgiving Day forward to this day, he's walking around and he's just, as Luke says here, he's just displaying the fact that he is God. He's raised from the dead. Sometimes he walks into rooms and just does not use the door, sees them all freaked out, says, do not be afraid, check it out, Thomas, a week later, look at my hands and my feet. He left no doubt in their mind that he was everything he said he was prior to his crucifixion. That he was God, that he was the Messiah, that he would die on a cross, be buried, and three days later raised from the dead. For 40 days, many infallible proofs. Here I am. Check me out. At the same time, he was giving them instruction by the Holy Spirit, giving them commands. And part of that would be as it related to. That, that role of the Spirit, not just being with them, but being in them, but now coming upon them. It's, it's a unique role, different to being in them and, 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 and being with them. And he used a description there to help them understand how this would all play out in verse 5, when he said, for John truly baptized you with water. And they all knew about John and, and what baptism was and being immersed in water and, and all of that. But you're going to be you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And he was talking about this very upon experience that he now hits in verse 8 once again. Earlier it was like, just as you were submerged in water, you are going to be submerged by the Holy Spirit when he comes upon you. And this is a promise that they would have been familiar with as Jews. A promise that was given hundreds of years earlier through the prophet Joel. In Joel chapter 2, verse 28, it says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my maidservants and on my, my maids, men servants and on my maidservants. I'll pour out my spirit in those days. 
And I will show wonders in the heavens and in earth, blood and fire and pillar of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon. He just, just goes into this like what the Holy Spirit's role is going to be. So the, the, the prophecy comes down. God says to his people, one day I am going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh, those that are his. 800 years later, 800 years later, Jesus says to his followers after his resurrection now, hey, just as John baptized you with water, that prophecy is about to be fulfilled and my spirit is going to immerse you and come upon you. And from our conversation with Jesus right here, that will happen in 10 days following this conversation. You would think that they would lock in on that and be like, yeah. But again, they kind of, in verse 6, went into that whole, Lord, you know, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. You can go back and, and listen to that. But the primary focus of Jesus in these final words that he is saying to his disciples that he lived with, ate with, mentored, tutored, discipled for three and a half years was a reference to a promise regarding his spirit, the Holy Spirit, who in John's Gospel, chapter 14, he was very clear when they were all freaked out about him talking about leaving. No, 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 I won't leave you as orphans. He'll be with you. He'll be in you. Now he will come upon you. He's just about to leave them. And he, and, he, and he focuses in on the most important thing, and that is the continued role that he will have in their life. And the focus was not physical. It was spiritual. It was on eternal kingdom. A spiritual kingdom. This king, Jesus, has a literal kingdom that he would establish one day and they were crazy fixated on that. Yes, we want the physical. Let's, let's, this planet, let's focus on that and, and this whole you know, tyranny of Rome and whatnot. It would be great if you just overthrow that. That's, that's, that's just where their heads were. Set up a kingdom. And they were talking to him before the cross about this. They were even talking about their, their roles. Can one of us sit on your right hand and on the left hand? Even their parents, the moms were like concerned. Which role is my son going to have in the literal kingdom? There's just something about this earth that pulls at us. There's just something about this earth we think it is always going to be our home. There's just something about who I am on this earth that will always be my home. Something about my flesh that just always thinks that way. It's human nature, but it's our flesh. And the one that came to redeem our flesh and their flesh is like, no, 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 no. That's not my focus. That's just, that's just not my focus. All of that, it's not even for you to know the times and the season which the Father has put in his own authority. And then he redirects them. Verse 8, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And there's a purpose. You're going to become my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. You know, whenever Jesus takes our eyes off of ourself and self's agenda, it's always going to be on him and his mission for our life. And the more you go there, the more freedom you have as a child of God. The more you let him take you there, you yield, the more freedom, the more joy. 
the weight of the world is lifted. The cares of this world are lifted. I was talking to someone called in. They wanted to talk, and they just said, pray for my husband. He, he can't stop watching the news. And it's just destroying our home. I'm like, the news is destroying your home? No, no, no. Just what he, it's completely altered who he is. It's all he thinks about. It's, it's, it, and I says, well, it's toxic. And the Holy Spirit, I believe, who is so wanting our attention, from the morning that he gave us, another day, the Lord, his mercies are new every day. That morning, we just, our thoughts go there. The freedom that we have. The opportunity to, to talk to him and to give him place. We have a jealous God, and his primary focus is to help us focus on Jesus. He's left here for that reason, to testify of him. To help us in that walk with him. To help us fulfill Jesus' mission in our life. The Holy Spirit will have his role in convicting us to point us to Jesus. The Holy Spirit will have his role in our life if we will yield in all of these areas. In converting us. The Holy Spirit will have a role in our life when it comes to Jesus using us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he's the one that gifts us and empowers those gifts. He's the one that guides. He's the one that directs. And he's the one that empowers. Whatever God calls us to be and what God calls us to do for his kingdom and advancing his kingdom, you're talking about the realm of supernatural. He, he's... He's grabbing natural individuals. We're human beings, flesh and blood, that have been born again supernaturally, and he now indwells us. And his spirit now should be uppermost. And his desire is to use his spirit that has awakened our spirit and to use that union now, that relationship now that he has formed to keep us focused on him and the advancement of his kingdom. Jesus was redirecting them as I need to be redirected many times throughout the day. He was placing their focus off of speculation. When will this happen and when will that happen for my life? I need to know my role in this physical world. It's as he takes their focus off of speculation and he puts it onto reality. The reality of their role in his present work at hand. He's about to hand them the baton. You're going to carry the torch from here. You're going to continue my work on from here. You're going to represent me as my witness. But in order for you to do that, you're going to need power. Power that you will begin to experience when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. We've noted that the Holy Spirit's presence and leading and power is essential. It was essential if the apostles were to become effective witnesses for Jesus. And it's essential today if we are to be effective witnesses for Jesus. The word power is the Greek word dunamis. We, we derive our English word dynamite from that. Today, the dunamis is available to all believers, enabling our gifts, helping us become effective witnesses, effective in service, growing in fellowship. This was Paul's prayer for the Ephesians in Ephesians 3, verse 16. He says that God would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. Now to him who was able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. I read that passage when I close almost every wedding that I do. Why? Do I need to answer that? I don't think I need to answer that. If you've been married for any time, you know that we, 
We're not going to have a successful marriage as God has designed our marriages to be without the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. Witness. Martuus. We derive our English word from that Greek word, martyr. The great second century theologian Tertullian stated that it was the blood of the Christians that were martyred that became the seed of the church. Many, many, many were drawn to faith in Jesus Christ by watching Christians become martyred at the hands of Rome. It just turned their hearts. So the Holy Spirit is with us. The Holy Spirit is in us. And once that happens, the Holy Spirit can now come upon us. And as we have his power and we become his witnesses, martyrs today, I think the idea behind that is there's going to be some sacrifice involved. To what degree? Well, that will depend, obviously, on where you live, where you're called. It's very important to understand that no part of the Holy Spirit's role is ever forced upon us, whether his being with us, in us, or upon us. He is with a lot of people, convicting them and pointing them to Jesus, but they do not respect or recognize him or respond to his products. He desires to reside and indwell every soul, but many reject Jesus. And, and, and to those who do, the Holy Spirit will not come in to their lives. And he will not force his power on any believers. He comes upon those that are surrendered and yielded and desirous to his coming upon them. It's a common thing when I'm with leaders and staff and I will often remind us as it says in Ephesians chapter 2 that, uh, that, that we need to be praying that, that the Holy Spirit would be filling us. It's, it's something that we, we, we constantly want to be saying. It says you know, to, to be being filled with the Spirit. It's a continual um, command there that Paul gives in Ephesians. Be being filled. So, so throughout the day, it's, it's like, Holy Spirit, come upon me. Fill me. It's, it's that invitation that He is looking for and that surrender and that desire that He is looking for. And I was, I was thinking about, as I've grown up in the church, and I've, I've come out of what I would say, I grew up in the Foursquare Church, which really was a church that focused a lot in the early days on the gifts. And the role of the Holy Spirit is so important, and the manifestation of the gifts in your life are so important. And I, I think it was just that was the focus. I gravitated more towards Calvary Chapel because I, I knew that Pastor Chuck came out of Foursquare, but I, I, I knew that he focused more on on the Word of God, not just the Spirit and the gifts. They're both equally important, but we need to find balance in all of that. And I begin to think back over just people that I've observed that, that I would say, now that's a spiritual person, or that's a, that's a spiritual family, or that, man, that church is a very spiritual church, or that group is a very spiritual group. And because I... I, I saw a lot of people growing up. I saw my fair share of people growing up that, that defined the work of the Holy Spirit in terms that really weren't so much what I learned to see his role be as I studied the Word of God. A lot of it was emotion. A lot of it was hype and these things. I, I realized that it was a misrepresentation of a person. I had some friends, you know, that when they heard the Toronto blessing, there's some unique work in the 
I don't know, the 90s, where, you know, this guy was uh, up in Toronto, and uh, Rodney Howard Brown was his name, and they all wanted to go up there and check out, because the Holy Spirit's doing this unique work up there, and what they were experiencing was the whole room would just, you know, break out in laughter, and that, that was now the Holy Spirit, and, and I'm, I'm going through the, the Word of God, I'm like, you know, I, I don't see that. I've been part of some churches where they say they, the primary evidence of the Holy Spirit coming upon you is the speaking in tongues. As I started to read the Bible, I believe in that gift. I have that gift, but it's not a gift that's given to everybody. And so how could that be the primary evidence that the Holy Spirit is coming up, upon you? And as I read my Bible, I realize, no, the primary evidence of the Holy Spirit coming upon me is that I'm a witness of Jesus Christ. And so just follow my simple, I'm going to say, seventh grade logic here. Okay? Just follow this. If the Holy Spirit has been left here to teach, won't I know where he is at work because I'll look at a life that is actually teachable? Isn't that simple? So if a Christian is not teachable, are they being directed by the Holy Spirit? If I just look at them, they're just really not a teachable person. It's like God's word's not getting in and directing them and guiding them. The Spirit's not teaching them. I believe that will be something you could recognize. They're not teachable. Those same bad habits that they've had, they still have. Everything that the Holy Spirit would want to teach us should eventually begin to mark our lives, and then we would say, that person's teachable. That person is teachable. The other thing is, I just go through his office. I go through his desired role for my life, his desired role for every Christian's life. I see where the Holy Spirit led Jesus. I see where the Holy Spirit led the, the apostles. And I know now the Holy Spirit wants to lead me. What does that look like? What does it look like when God begins to lead a life? Less of me and more of him. I just began to think about this. I began to think about some, we, we all struggle with pride from time to time, but then there's some people, they just, they're very proud as Christians. They're, they've got pride issues and stuff, and I began to think back in my past to some people when I was in high school and college. I'm like, man, that's some really, really deep, eerie, scary pride. It's not the Holy Spirit. Where the Holy Spirit is leading and guiding a piece of redeemed clay, there will be humility. There will be surrender. There will be sensitivity. There will be a softness. When the Holy Spirit begins to empower someone, that's recognizable. You want to see my strength when I'm angry? You want to see my strength when I'm trying to direct and guide and teach? You want to see my strength? You don't want to see my strength. You want to see my strength surrendered. You want to see me, when I'm using my gifts, yielded. And by the way, we're all one body. We're one body. The Holy Spirit is our conductor. And so we will see the Spirit at work when we see humility amongst us. You see a humble person, that's a Spirit-filled person. You see a, a yielded person, a submitted person, who's, who's not putting their agenda out there, or putting their agenda on you, or putting their agenda on the church. Because they've submitted to the agenda of their God. And that has a look. Surrender, humility, transparency, inadequacy. inadequacy. I can't, but he can. I must decrease that he might increase, John would say. There's a look to that. There's a look to the Holy Spirit
working in and through a believer's life. And it's not hype, and it's not emotion. It's not to say that at times we're not moved to the point of tears or, or extreme joy. But we need to have a keen awareness of him and a strong dependence upon him. And there you'll find balance. They were to become witnesses, beginning right there in Jerusalem. And they would carry out the Lord's command when they heard it and they got it. They carried it out. And the witness would spread beginning in Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, the neighboring areas there, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. And today that witness continues on through believers all over the world as the Lord continues to empower witnesses to this promise. This is the mission of the church until Jesus comes back for us. If you have a red letter edition Bible, you look down and you go, nomos red. There's no more red words. These are the final words of Jesus before he ascends to heaven. It's been 2,000 years since he spoke those words. And and over those 2,000 years, Jesus has not during that 2,000 years planted his feet on earth and spoken audibly to his followers. One might say he has given 2,000 years for those words to sink in, to resonate, and to mobilize his followers in each generation. These final words of Jesus are what the entire rest of the book of Acts is all about. In chapters 1 through 7, it tells of the witness of the church, these guys, in Jerusalem. In chapters 8 through 11, it tells of the witness of these guys. They took serious the command of Jesus. The Spirit did come upon them, and they did become witnesses in Jerusalem, and then into Judea, and Samaria, which chapters 8 through 11 will we'll discuss. And then from 8 through 11, chapter 12 to 28, we have this like moving towards the end of the earth. And so these final words of Jesus are what the whole rest of the book of Acts is about. And, and thus, because it's to the end of the age, the witness should be, these final words of Jesus also should be what the rest of our lives are about. To be a witness for Christ is to share his message. Jesus Christ is God who came in flesh. You believe that? About 10% of us. Jesus Christ is God who came in flesh. He died on a cross to pay for our sins. Yeah. He, he rose from the dead a three, day, three days later. Could you repeat that to someone? When you do, you are fulfilling his final words. Isn't that cool? If a person believes in him and receives him, he will forgive them and save them. Do you believe that? Go tell someone. The good news is there's no joint, club to join, no secret handshake, no system that we've got to climb up. We simply receive the one who changed our lives. Tell them that. And to be a witness for Christ is not only to share him, uh, the message about him, like verbalize that, but it's to, 
be a witness for Christ is to live out Christ. And this requires some real soul searching for all of us. Our lives must display the inner reality of what we are externally proclaiming. If I tell someone, Jesus Christ, man, he's so awesome. This is who he is. He's God, and he took on flesh, and it, he's on this earth for 33 and a half years. He, he died on that cross. Three days later, he rose from the dead. And, and if, if you will put your faith in him, that Jesus, he will save you. He will radically transform your life. All things will pass away, but all things will become new. Don't you think my life needs to line up with that? That's, that's the point. And if the apostles didn't walk the talk, we wouldn't be here. The church wouldn't be here today. But they walked their talk. And the gospel message that they lived out and they shared spread across the whole Roman Empire, all across Asia. Being an effective witness for Christ required that they were truly passionate about Christ. And just the next time we, we open our Bible, well, I don't know if I'll get to chapter 1 today, but when we get to chapter 2, Peter's going to stand up and he's going to talk about Jesus. And 3,000 people are going to give their life to Christ. Do you think that would have happened if he was just some ho-hum, lacking, passionate kind of guy? I'm not so sure if I even got the message right kind of guy. No. We need the Logos, the Word of God. But we also need the, the pathos. We, we, we need the passion. The Holy Spirit needs to live out the conviction of who Jesus is. Stephen will become the first martyr, a young man. He'll become the first martyr. If he wasn't passionate about Jesus, really, if the Word of God, Logos, hadn't grabbed his heart and the person of Christ hadn't really grabbed his life, there's no way that young high school kid would have been serving tables. There's no way that, that he would have not denounced Christ as they drug him to the feet of Saul to have him stoned. He was passionate about his, his Savior. Paul, we can go through Paul's journeys. There's, there's many to come, but we'll see how passionate he is about Jesus. The command to be Christ's witness is for all who truly are his. The message is simple, but the demand on the message, on the messenger, is sobering. You shall be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem, all of Judea. Start where they just crucified me and they hate you and want to do the same to you. Then you're going to go to Judea in the area of Samaria where you've been, you've been rejected in Judea and Samaria, you've rejected them. <laughs> Samaritans are half-breeds. You, you, you know, just they're unclean. And so I am calling you to a place where you're just going to have to step out of your home at the risk of losing your life in order to be my witness. And then it's going to expand. It just is. What if the Lord today was actually using this pandemic to wake up the church and to mobilize the church? You say, but there's been this many people die. This many people are sick. What if the church, the early church, started hearing about friends getting put to death on crosses themselves? and said, I am not leaving my house until they stop putting Christians on crosses. What if they started hearing the, at the neighbor's house, oh, it's, it's over there now, and, and oh, the Rome is there now, and they, oh, we heard that they just drug off our neighbors, and they, they put them in 
in prison and they're going to be used for sport. They're going to work their way down to the Colosseum or some of these arenas and they're going to use them for sport. I am not going to leave my house until they stop arresting Christians. They refuse to stay in their houses because they had seen him and he had transformed their lives. They were true followers and their faith in him dominated any fear they would ever experience. Samaria, a call to minister to those your flesh would love to write off. You're going to go to those too. Because this is not your mission, it's mine. And God has a heart for all. He loves all. To the ends of the earth, the Gentiles. So these guys are going to go for it. In just a few days, Peter will preach the first sermon to the Jews. 3,000 will be saved. Later, Philip. He will witness in Judea, cross over into Samaria. Peter will eventually take the gospel to the Gentiles. They will see it through to the ends of the earth to where barbarian, Scythian, bond-free, male, female, Jew, Greek alike will hear the gospel, receive Jesus, and they will become one of the body of Christ. What previously separated them no longer separated them because they were united by something stronger, the life-transforming power of God as he was working through his Holy Spirit. The life-changing message that streamed forth from the cross was embraced and shared by witnesses who were empowered by the Holy Spirit. May Jesus' last words ring in your ears, my ears, steer our hearts, and move our feet towards those he desires to save. You will be my witness, Lance. What a heart-pounding moment this must have been for the disciples to hear these final words from their risen Savior. And, and just then, just then, when your jaw's on the ground and you're like, what? He's taken from them. Now, I'm halfway through today's Bible study. <laughs> I don't know how that works out. What would that be like? He says he's going to a cross. Yeah, you're not going to the cross. None of them believed. None of them. All of them deserted. But then he found them once he rose from the dead. That's just life-changing. It's like, told you so. For 40 days, told you so. Forty days. Told yourself. You might even go, this, you know, how many times did Peter recount the times he denied Jesus in those 40 days? And there was Jesus again. Told yourself. Jesus' relatives, who, who none of them, his brothers or sisters, none of them, prior to his resurrection, just like the disciples, none of them believed mom and dad's first son was God or the Messiah. What was that like? Hanging out with family, told you so. 40 days, told you so. And now, you know, he, he's, he's found you and and, 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 and you've, you've spent some time with him. He's made you breakfast. He's, he's reset you. And, and, and now, 
His final words. And it would be along the lines of this, if we were to just break this down in our closing thought. You've seen what I've done. My compassion for people. That I just want them to be in the kingdom with me. Okay? You've, you've, you know who I am. It's, I've left an indelible, undeniable impact in your hearts and your minds. You could never deny who I am. I'm God. I'm the Messiah. Okay. You got it? We got it. Now go tell people. Just, just, just go. Go. Because you're so probably so amped up. Start here. It's not going to be easy. Start here. And then it's just going to spread. And right about then, you look at, you know, all the disciples except Judas. He's gone. He's hung himself. He'll talk about replacing him next. But you look at all each other, and just about then, a cloud, boom, descends. Just, just like the same cloud, the Shekinah glory of God that represents his power, his presence, his pleasure. The same cloud that filled the, 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 the temple and the tabernacle and same cloud that came upon Mount Sinai, the same cloud that was a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day that directed the nation of Israel, that same, that same presence of God, just the cloud, the Father, comes down. And, and uh, as they watched, he was received from their sight. Class dismissed. He's there, and then he's there because he said he was leaving his spirit. And the fact that they would go, and we look back now over history and be the witnesses in the face, in the shadow of the cross, in the face of all of that opposition, in the face of all that persecution, is strong strong supporting evidence that the spirit that he said he would leave and would empower them to be those witnesses was there. Even to the end of the age, we're not there yet. We're not there yet. It's as if we're standing there hearing these words today. The question is, how serious have I taken those words? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for the continued work that you are doing in and through our, our lives. There's a reason that we are here yet another day. And it is definitely not about our career and all the stuff that we say, this is the mission of our life and it's our agenda. It's, it's not why you've left us here another day. It's not why the church is still here and not yet raptured. It's to be the beacon, the messenger, the redeemed, the ambassador, the family of God, the kingdom kids filled with your spirit, enabled, gifted, and empowered so that we could be effective witnesses. Holy Spirit, fall on us now. Come upon us now. Jesus, fulfill your command, your final words through our lives. More and more each day we pray. And if you're here and you've never been saved, would you cry out to the Lord right now? Would you agree with what His Word says? We're all sinners. That's you. We all fall short of the glory of God. That's all of us. The difference between those that are saved and those who are not is we who are saved, we put our faith in Jesus. And this can be a moment for you. If that's you, just talk to Jesus. Say, I... 
I believe that you are God. I believe that you're the Savior of the world. And I ask you now to save me, to forgive me of my sin. Come into my life. Just tell him that. Ask him to fill you now with his Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for working in hearts in the many ways that you worked in hearts this day. Thank you, Jesus, for leaving him. The evidence that we see is overwhelming. We love you and we pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen and amen. Well, let's all stand. been cold outside, amen? Yeah, a little cold. Not here on Wednesday nights. We haven't turned the heater on the last two Wednesday nights. Not in this room. We've opened up the book of Song of Solomon. It's just hot in this room. Love you guys. A couple of announcements.